Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. It can be found on page 832 of your Pew Bible. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in an inn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here at Ebenezer. And uh, at the 945 service, my partner in crime, Mark Montgomery, um, accidentally said that the, the PJ, the pajama service was, was January 30th instead of December 30th. And so I it began my sermon by by saying, actually, it's, it's December 30th, not January 30th. And then I thought, man, I really shouldn't have done that because how fun would it have been to see all these people coming in their pajamas on January 30th? It just would have been, it would have been great. So really, if you want to come in your pajamas anytime, I want you to know this. You're welcome here at Ebenezer Church. So I'm glad that you're with us. Today we are concluding, uh, in many respects, uh, this, this journey toward Bethlehem. We will really conclude it over the course of the candlelight services, but... But today is, is really the milestone where we talk about the, the journey from the north down to the south. And where we left the story last week is Pastor Mark talked to us about this, this really compelling uh, story that takes place between Mary and Elizabeth. This, this tale of, of intimacy and, and connection and mentorship that takes place in a time when Mary needed it desperately. And that took place in the town of Ein Karim, which is just south of Jerusalem. That's where we left things last week, and what happens in the meantime is that Joseph leaves Bethlehem, and he travels about an hour north to Ein Karim, where he gathers Mary. Together, they make the journey back north up to Nazareth. And as far as they were concerned, that's where they were going to have the baby. That's where Mary's family was. They found an OBGYN they liked. It was great. It was perfect. And then... Their lives were touched by greed in the form of a census. And you say, why is a census greedy? Well, have you ever asked, why, why would the Emperor Augustus have called for a census? It wasn't because he wanted to ensure that the best social programming was available in the places that needed it most. The reason that Augustus called for the census is because he wanted to make sure that he was taxing people as fully as he possibly could. Think about that for a moment. The wealthiest man in the world. But it wasn't enough. And so he called for the census. Mary and Joseph find themselves touched by this man's greed and it compels them to make a very difficult journey at a very difficult time. Can you imagine what the conversation between Joseph and Mary must have been like when he told her they had to leave? Hey, baby, I know you're nine months pregnant and all, but what would you think about riding on this donkey for 10 days to see my parents? Great, 
right? So they begin to make make this journey, and and I I don't the normal person, that person in a steady state, it would have taken about nine days over three mountain ranges to get from Galilee in the north down to Judea in the south. But Mary, of course, was not in a, in a normal state. She was in a, a very pregnant state. Have you ever had a chance to travel with a pregnant woman? I, when my wife, was, Andy, was eight and a half months pregnant with our son, Brock, we went to the West Virginia State Fair in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Listen to me. If you ever get a chance to go to a fair with a pregnant woman, do it. Here's what it looked like. So she couldn't walk very far. Therefore, we had to take a lot of breaks. Now you can tell from looking at me, God built me to take breaks, right? It's in my DNA to do Sabbath well. But that's not all. Um, pregnant women have a tendency to eat frequently, but not much when they eat. And so we'd be walking along and Annie would go, do I smell, do I smell a funnel cake? Yes, you do. And we'd go get a funnel cake and take a break. And she'd eat three or four bites and then she'd say, oh, I'm so full, you have to finish it. Nice! Right? <laughs> we walk a little further. Is that a hot dog? Yes, it is! Right? It was, it was great. My point of saying all this is to say nine days for a person in a relatively normal state. Mary was in, she was great with child. And so it must have taken them at least that long, if not longer. Which brings me really to the first salient point as we're examining the story and thinking about its, uh, its application to our own lives, and it's this. Mary and Joseph were compelled to take this journey because of the greed of Caesar. And there are times in all of our lives where evil and darkness reaches out and touches us, and as a result of that evil or darkness, we find ourselves walking down a path we'd never intended to walk down. For example, I know that there are people in our connection here at Ebenezer Church who, for the first time this year, are navigating the holidays without someone they love very much because they lost that person to death this year. That's a tough road to walk down. I know that Ebenezer Church has been engaging in a conversation throughout the course of 2018. We've been dreaming together about where we're going in the future. And that's largely been conducted by people like you in this room based on information we got from people like you about what was meaningful at Ebenezer and what your dreams for our future were. But as a result of this prayerful process, I've been having conversations with local community leaders. And one of the questions I asked each one of these local community leaders was, what do you think is the greatest problem facing Stafford County today? And these various leaders responded as if if with one voice, saying that they felt that the opioid epidemic was the greatest problem facing Stafford County today. I will not ask people to raise their hands, but if I did, if I asked people to raise their hands... If your life or the life of someone who's close to you was touched by opioid addiction, I think we'd all be shocked to see the number of people whose hands went up in this room. There are people in this room walking down a more difficult path, a path they never intended because their lives were touched by something evil or dark. Where is the hope in moments like this? 
I've shared with you a couple of times before. I'll keep sharing it because I think it needs to be part of our spiritual DNA. But there's this wonderful story in Genesis 50 where Joseph, who's been sold into slavery by his brothers, the tables have now turned. Joseph rose to prominence in Egypt and now his brothers are kneeling before him, petrified of what Joseph will do in retribution. Please don't hurt us, they say. Please don't hurt us. And Joseph says to them, you have nothing to fear from me because... What you intended for evil, God transformed into good. There are times in all of our lives when we are touched by evil and darkness and it compels us to walk down a path we otherwise would not have walked down. Mary and Joseph know what that felt like. And here's the hope. In Mary and Joseph's life, what a man named Caesar intended for evil and greed God transforms into the source of every good blessing on the earth. Mary and Joseph were scared and uncomfortable and vulnerable, but when they got to the end of the road, they found God there. They found that, in fact, quite literally, God had journeyed with them all throughout their travels. My brothers and sisters, our hope on difficult roads in our lives is that if we allow God to guide us, if we allow God to guide us, God will redeem every broken path upon which we tread. So, who do you know in this Christmas season? Who do you know who needs some encouragement along their journey? How can we reach out to them with a phone call or or a letter? Who do you know that needs to be reminded that God is faithful every step of the way, even when we can't see the next step? Still, God is faithful. Because if we allow God to guide us, all of our broken roads will lead precisely where Mary and Joseph's broken road led them. These roads will emerge from the darkness And at the end of our travel, we will find Christ. Speaking of roads, there are really two potential pathways Mary and Joseph could have taken to go from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south. If you look at the screen today, you see that one path indicated by a dashed line heads east out of Nazareth, crosses the Jordan River, and then goes south along the Jordan River Valley. About the time it gets down to the Dead Sea, the path turns back to the southwest. It is a more circuitous route of getting from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south. But there were two advantages to taking this path. The first advantage of taking the more circuitous route around the Jordan River there was that it was an easier road to travel. It was simply, there was less of an incline as, uh, as, as they were going up into the mountains. The second benefit of taking the circuitous path to the east, down to the south, and then back to the west, the second benefit is it allowed them to go around the region of Samaria. And as you may recall, Jewish people didn't get along well with Samaritans. Why was that, by the way? It was for really two reasons. First, it was a religious reason. Jewish people believed that God should be worshipped on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Samaritans believed that God should be worshipped on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. So they had a religious dispute. But there was also another dispute that went on between the Samaritans and the Jews. 
It was an old dispute. In the year 721 BC, the Assyrian army invaded Israel. And when they did, the people in the, the Jewish people in the region that would become known as Samaria, they, they welcomed the invaders. In fact, they intermarried with them. They had children with them. So in the time of Jesus, 700 years after the event, still Jewish people thought of Samaritans as half-breeds and turncoats. And so, by taking this route to the east, people could avoid the very region of Samaria. But there was one downside to it. If you took the more circuitous route to the east and then down to the south, it added two extra days to your journey. Let's look at another option. The second option for the route Mary and Joseph took from Nazareth in the north down to Bethlehem in the south is, is indicated on the solid red line, proceeds directly south out of Nazareth, navigates through the mountain ranges, and comes out through Jerusalem into Bethlehem. This, uh, this road actually has a name. This road is, is called the Way of the Patriarchs. It was along this road that Abraham first received his promise from God about a land flowing with milk and honey and numerous children. It was along this road that one night Joshua had a dream, uh, Jacob had a dream rather, and Jacob saw this ladder with angels ascending and descending. It was along this route that the people of Assyria came to conquer Israel. It was along this route the people of Babylon came to conquer Judea. But it was also along this route after the Babylonian exile that God's people returned to Jerusalem singing praises to God all the way to Mount Zion. This is the route on which Elijah would have prophesied. This is the route on which Samuel would have ordained David to become the next king of Israel. This is the route upon which the weeping prophet Jeremiah wept. So you can guess which route I think Mary and Joseph probably took, right? One final thought about the possibility of travel here. You know, if it's true that Mary and Joseph took the circuitous route, if they went to the east and then down to the south and back to the west, if they took that route, and one of the reasons that people would argue that they take that route is because they wanted to avoid the region of Samaria, I would take issue with that idea. Why? Because throughout the course of Jesus' ministry, Jesus reached out to Samaritan people. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes into the region of Samaria, and there at Jacob well, Jacob's well, he finds a, a woman at the well. A woman who's had a difficult past, and Jesus offers her living water such that she'd never thirst again. In arguably, arguably, the, the most famous story Jesus ever told is a story about being a good neighbor. It's called the parable of the good who. Samaritan. Yeah. The hero of one of the most famous stories Jesus Christ ever told, the hero of the story was a Samaritan. That was revolutionary in Jesus' time. It makes me wonder who our Samaritans are today. We live in a world that fractures so easily. Democrats and Republicans, white and black, citizens versus immigrants. And it's, it's fascinating to me the way that Jesus so effortlessly yet powerfully tears down barriers that separate people. After all, Jesus came for the entire world. So the Savior reaches across lines to people who are different. Where did he learn how to do that? I think it's possible, even likely, that Jesus learned to love everyone from parents 
who weren't afraid to walk through a community like Samaria just because it was filled with people who were different. So who are our Samaritans? Who are the people we've been keeping at arm's length that God is calling us to embrace? Yep. For my money, I believe that Joseph and Mary took the more direct route directly to the south. It was the route upon which the salvation history of God's people had been composed. And as Mary and Joseph traveled down that path, God was adding the greatest, most beautiful chapter of all. And as they traveled along this path, Mary and Joseph saw some amazing things. Uh, for, for example, they saw the city of Shechem. This is, these are the, the ruins of the city of Shechem. Now, Shechem was an old city. In fact, it was really important to the Jewish people. It was here in the town of Shechem that God first made a promise to Abraham. That promise I mentioned earlier about a land that was flowing with milk and honey. God was going to give the people that land. And what people was God going to give it to? God was going to give it to the descendants of Abraham who would be so numerous that they'd be like the sands of the sea and the stars in the heavens. This is where that promise took place. Eventually, this place, Shechem, would become the first capital of the nation of Israel. Joseph would move it from there to Jerusalem. But this was the first capital city of Israel. Mary and Joseph walked right through it on their way. Another place Mary and Joseph would have went through is a town called Shiloh. These are ruins from the town of Shiloh. Why is Shiloh an important town in biblical history? Well, in Joshua chapter 18, the Bible tells us that when God's people were set free from their captivity in Egypt and they finally occupied the promised land, it was in the city of Shiloh that they first set up camp. Here is, here is where the government was established. Here is where the people of Israel were given their apportionment of land. This is the first place where the tabernacle, the precursor to the temple, God's resting place was established. You could say it this way. At Shechem, God made a promise. And at Shiloh, God made good on the promise. And Mary and Joseph walked right through the story of God's faithful history to God's people. But, I think perhaps the most fascinating town they walked by on their journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem was a little town called Megiddo. This is a picture of Megiddo, and as Mary and Joseph left out of Nazareth, if they'd looked to their right almost immediately, they would have seen this hill. It's actually called Tel Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. Now, Megiddo was, was an interesting place, and here's why. The, the Silk Road coming out of the east terminated here in Megiddo. What that means is all of the trade coming from Asia, all the spices, all the cloth, all of the trade coming to Asia came to Megiddo. And when you got to Megiddo, you had a choice. You could turn right and go to Europe, or you could turn left and go down to Africa. Megiddo was quite literally the street corner of the ancient world. As you can imagine, it was prime real estate because whoever controlled the town of Megiddo controlled trade on three continents. It was like the Amazon.com of the first century church. You might also imagine that because of its importance to trade, Megiddo was fought over a lot. 
One of the things that's interesting is Megiddo is an old, old town, 7,000 years old, old town. And if you look at the picture, you can see that around the hill on which Megiddo is written, around the hill you see flat farming land. 7,000 years ago, when Megiddo first became a settlement, it was also flat farming land. So where'd the hill come from? What you see on that hill of Megiddo isn't extra earth. The reason there's a hill there is because there are 26 different towns on top of one another right there. Foreign invaders who wanted to control trade would come in, they would destroy Megiddo, level it, and build another city on top of it. 26 times this happened throughout history. So much so that this town became synonymous with warfare to the point that when John the Revelator told the story about the final battle where good once and for all would defeat evil, the setting for that final battle was right here. In Hebrew, it's called Tel Megiddo. In Greek, it's the town of Armageddon. How fascinating that Mary and Joseph walked past the town synonymous with war while Mary carried the Prince of Peace inside of her. And here I want to stop for a moment and make one more opportunity for practical application in our lives. As we approach this beautiful season of Christmas, we are often inundated with the blessing and challenge of extended family. I believe for many of us that causes some internal dissonance. On on the one hand, we enjoy being close to our our loved ones. On the other hand, it's fascinating to watch some of our families at work. Can I get an amen from somebody? I am the youngest of four children. And it's fascinating to me how quickly... When I go back home, I revert back to being the youngest of four children. You know what my official title is? I am an ordained elder of word, sacrament, order, and service in full connection with the Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church. But when I go home, I'm Robbie. Here's the point. Our relationships are are the most important things in our lives. Our relationship with God, our relationship with the people around us, especially our relationships with our families. But this time of year, those relationships can make us feel vulnerable and sometimes they can even cause us to have a heart that's at war. So as we prepare for this week, I want to send you forth into the beauty and drama of family time with a reminder, you are a servant of the Prince of Peace. How fitting is it that the Prince of Peace would be carried by the town whose name is synonymous with war. That one day all of our swords will be beaten into plowshares at his name. That one day all war and strife would cease because of the one who is still at work in our lives. Mary and Joseph were forced to walk down a road they never intended because of the greed of another. All of our lives along the way, all of our lives are going to be touched by darkness. And it could cause us to walk down a path we never intended. So who do you know 
that need some encouragement along their difficult journey at this time of the year? Who do you know that needs to be reminded that God is faithful? Whether Mary and Joseph walked through that region of Samaria or avoided it, we'll never know. But here's what we do know. We know that Jesus walked through the region of Samaria. We know that he made a point of connecting with people who were different and other with the outcast. He welcomed them into his kingdom. So who are our Samaritans today? The ones we've been keeping at arm's length But God is calling us to welcome. Along their journey, the Holy Family walked in sight of a town whose name was synonymous with war. While Mary carried within her the Prince of Peace. Where are our hearts at war today? And how can the Prince of Peace help us to lay down our arms? Mary and Joseph trekked through the history of God's people. It took them at least nine days to make this journey. It took God's people 1,600 years. But at the end of the road, they found that God had traveled with them. At the end of the road, there they found Christ. For the most exciting chapter of the journey is yet to come. After somewhere between nine and, I don't know, like 22 days, finally Mary and Joseph make it to the little town of Bethlehem. And nothing will ever be the same. But that, quite literally, is a story for tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You never promised that all of our lives would be easy. But you tell us time and time again that no matter what difficult road lies ahead, you will journey with us, for your name is Emmanuel. Thank you, O God, for the hope that at the end of all our broken roads, there we shall find Christ. And we ask for your grace to encourage those in our paths who are walking down their difficult journey. Now, we also confess that there are some times in our lives that we keep others at arm's length because of their decisions, their pasts, their failures, their philosophical beliefs. We have a tendency to aid in division. Forgive us. Remind us that your work is a work of unity and peace. So help us, O God. Help us to find the Samaritans in our lives and love them just as Christ did. Perhaps, most importantly, there are so many times that our hearts can feel as if they are at war, especially in this time of year. We ask that the Prince of Peace would reign in us again and that you would help us to be peacemakers until the day when finally all swords can be beaten into plowshares. We look with great expectation as we focus on the coming of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and invite you to bless us over this week and this Christmas season. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. With great thanksgiving, we pray them always for the sake of his kingdom. And once more, all of God's people said, Amen.